Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. I like legitimately want every Sunday that I get to walk up on stage, I want to feel the stage move. So that's like (laughs) a dream come true for me. Um, Before we finish up the King David series today, I want to take a few moments to share some exciting things that are happening at Collective right now. Since the summer, Collective has been growing like crazy. We've been growing in all facets. We've seen it on Sunday morning, so much so that we added a second service. We have a nine o'clock service that meets before you guys get here. Uh, We've seen it in our collectives that meet during the week. Two weeks ago, we had over 100 people show up in one of the seven small groups that meet throughout the week, which is just incredible. We've seen it on our team through people that have stepped up to serve and as leaders are stepping up to do more at Collective, um, which really will make this church super healthy. The less I do, the more that other people do, the better this church will be. And so it's been incredible. And because of that growth, we've had to make a few big decisions and updates for how we do church at Collective. And so I want to share with you the three that are like most exciting right now in the season that we're in. So the first thing is this. On January 1st, we hired our first full-time employee that wasn't me. And so I'm going to bring Danielle Sexton up on stage for a second. Can we give it up for Danielle? So Danielle started coming to Collective the summer before we officially launched. We had small groups that were meeting. We were serving the community. And so her and her then fiancé, or were you guys just dating? You guys were engaged, like at launch? We started dating and then got engaged. We've seen the whole cycle of it, okay? (laughs) So at some point, they showed up at Collective. Uh, When Collective launched, they joined the team. They started serving. This summer, both Danielle and her now husband, Jake, stepped up and started leading um, in different areas of our connections team. And so as Collective continued to grow, we knew we needed to hire somebody else. We needed to find somebody else to do some full-time stuff around here uh, in order to help this church move forward. And so we officially hired Danielle to be our next steps Director. And so Danielle is in charge of our connections team. That's the parking lot and the lobby. She's in charge of community engagement. So if you sign up to volunteer at the race, like she'll be your contact um, as we do more stuff this summer to help kids that are hungry. Danielle will be the one in charge of planning that. Um, she's also the person in charge of next steps here at Collective. And so if you come to Collective and you want to join a small group or you want to join the team or you want to help serve in some capacity inside or outside of this community, Danielle is your contact. In fact, over the last few weeks, if we've pushed for people to kind of take a step, if you've checked off anything on the connection card, this is Danielle. You've got an email from her as she's tried to help you take that step at Collective. So if you, if you ever have questions about how to get more involved and more engaged, Danielle's your person. Let's give it up for Danielle one more time. She didn't know I was going to ask her to be on stage until like 8.30 this morning. So um, the second thing is this, uh, and it involves the insane number of babies that are being born at Collective right now. There have been six babies born in the last six months. There's at least five more on the way that we know of. And one of our core values is to create the most intentional and excellent environment possible so that people, so that you can bump in to Jesus. And so this summer, we realized that in order to do that, we actually need to figure out a way to get the sermon, the audio that's in here, and we need to figure out a way to get it to the lobby. And the reason why we did that is because there are times when you want more coffee, there are times when you you need to get up, or maybe you have kids who are back in Collective Kids, and they don't want to be back there anymore, or you're new to Collective, and you're still trying to figure this whole place out. And so we figured we need to create a way for some people to listen 
into the sermon that's not just in here. And so what we did is we, we figured out a way to get it into the lobby. But as more babies are being born and as people are having kids here at this church, we realize that the lobby isn't that much better for a new family. And so over the last few weeks, we kind of dug in to figure out like, okay, what do we do? How do we create more space for new families? And so we reached out to the school and we asked them, hey, do you have more space that you can give us? And they said, yes. And so starting next week, we will actually have a separate room that's set up for parents with newborns. And so if you bring your kid in here and all of a sudden they're hungry or like if it's like my six month old, she just wants to be moved all the time. Like she wants to face out and she literally wants us like pacing all over our house. At some point that becomes hard for you as a parent, it becomes distracting in here. And so what we are doing is we're creating an extra space so that you can take care of your kids if you need to. And so the sermon will be piped in there. It's right by kids check-in. And so if you have questions about that after service day, you can go talk to them, you can go check it out. There's a couch in there. But our main thing is this, we want to create the best environments possible. And there are times that as collective grows, we realize that that involves new space or new ways to do that. And so we knew with so many people having kids, we wanted to create an, an extra space, a special space just for those parents in case while they're in here, their kid needs to be out or their kid, you know, just isn't sitting well. Most of the time it's Harper. Like if you're ever in here and you hear a baby crying in the back, usually it's my baby. And I like stare at my wife so she can read my mind. And that says, hey, there's an extra room set up for you starting next week. And so, um, you know, again, though, to create the best environment possible, not just in here and, and not just collective kids, but for parents parents uh, throughout this entire building. So the last thing uh, and the biggest announcement is actually a change. Don't freak out. It's a good change. So starting March 31st, we are changing our service times to 930 and 11. And there's two reasons for that. The first is that unchurched people don't want to go to church at 9 a.m., A few weeks ago, my wife was out with her friends and they went to Old Mother for a trivia night. And while they were there, they actually ended up having to share a table with another team who they crushed. Not actually important to the story. She's a winner. I need you guys to know that. But at the end of the night, uh, this other group actually asked Ray and the girls that were with her how they all knew each other. And they said, church. And this, of course, led to a great conversation. And one of them actually shared that he had just moved to the area with his girlfriend. They're trying to find community and trying to find a place to connect to other people. And so seeing this as an opportunity to invite them to collective, they told them, hey, you should come check it out sometime. And then they shared with them that we have a 9 and a 1030 service. And without hesitation, one of them laughed and said, there is no way they would ever make it to a 9 a.m. service. When Ray shared that story with me, something clicked that hadn't before. 9 a.m. is not a time that unchurched people find attractive, and that's a problem. Our goal is to be a church for the rest of us. And this means that Collective was started for people who have never been to church. It was started for people who walked away from church. And it was started for people that just really haven't found their place yet. But the time of our first service at 9 a.m. time does not jive with who we are as a church. It doesn't jive with our goal in this city. And so we need to make a change. And to be honest, we probably should have done this back in October. We had a 1030 service. We kind of slid at 9 o'clock in there. We probably should have changed the service times then, but we didn't. That's my fault. But we're making that change right now. The other reason why it matters is because our 1030 service, and you all know this, is packed. And this is a great thing. This is an exciting thing, except for the fact that we are running out of room. A few weeks ago, we actually ran out of these these black chairs and we had to use these wooden ones that we have realized are death traps. But we ran out of seats. We're running out of parking spots. We're running out of space in collective kids. And as exciting as it is to have a growing church, if our growth makes it hard for people to find a seat, 
to find a parking spot, if it makes it harder on our collective kids team to care for each other the way that we expect it to happen, we will never grow beyond where we are right now. And so we are changing the times in order to make the 9.30 service more accessible so that we can open up more seats at 11 a.m., and so if you are someone that can easily go to both services, you're up early, you just go to second service because that's what you're used to, or maybe you've been here since when we had one, right? So we like 10.30, 10.30, 10.30, and then all of a sudden you're like, why would I change? But if you are somebody that could easily go to the 9.30 service, we're gonna challenge you and ask you to take that step so that you can open up a seat for somebody else. It's the exact same service. The coffee's still hot. The worship is still great. The sermons are still mostly preached by me. Take that how you want. But we need to free up seats at our second service. And that starts with us changing times and really bringing the challenge to this service to say, if 9.30 is a service that you can go to, please do that so you can open up seats for more people, so that you can open up parking spots for more people, so that when they bring their kids, we know we have the, the perfect amount of adults to care for them. And the biggest picture of all of this, and the reason why we're doing this is because we are seeing life change in this church every single week. We're seeing people put their faith in Jesus and get baptized. We're seeing marriages get healed. We're seeing people get out of debt. We're seeing children in this community get fed. We're seeing this church change this city, and we don't want that to stop. We want to keep creating space for that to happen, and it starts with us opening up seats at 11 a.m. And if we do this together, if we create space, do you know what will happen? People will show up. Right, we saw that when we went to two services. When we added that second service, we knew it would happen. If you create space for people to experience the grace and truth of Jesus, they will respond. And our goal, and our goal is to max out both of our services. Right now, this one feels tight. Our first one doesn't. Our goal is to max out both of our services so that we can start looking for a permanent location. Our goal isn't to be portable forever. I would love to one day have a space with more comfortable chairs. Wouldn't you want that? right? These chairs are the worst, but this is what we have. And the way we get away from that is we continue to max out what we do so we can have our own space. I would like to not pull a trailer. I would love to have a space that we could call our own. And I dream about what this church could do if that was possible. But the only way that will happen is if we make a few sacrifices now in order to balance out the services and create new space for people to experience Jesus in the way that you do every single week. So Collective right now, we're in a very exciting season. We just came out of an exciting season. We're going into another exciting season. So let's keep inviting. Let's keep opening up space for people to show up and experience just how good God is. Let's keep being a church for the rest of us. And let's keep seeing what God can do in this church, in this community. Because really every time we take that step and every time we do what we can to create space, God continues to show up and continue to create space for people to have life change that we all long for and that we all want and some of us have experienced. So today, uh, those are the three exciting things. We have other things that are going on, but those are the three big things because we want to share with you guys where this church is going and what we're doing and why it matters, really. That, that, that's what it comes down to. It matters because we believe that Jesus is the answer to so many struggles and problems and so much of the brokenness that we have. And so our goal is to create as much space as possible to make the biggest impact possible. As, as CT mentioned earlier, we're finishing up our King David series. And so over the past 52 weeks, we've actually spent seven weeks on David, which is more than any other person in any other topic. And with us spending as much time on David, it would be really easy to assume that David was some kind of superhuman, right? In fact, he almost feels like a character out of folk, folklore. He was chosen by God. 
He slayed a giant. He became the king of Israel. He's even in the genealogy of Joseph, who was married to the Virgin Mary. He helped raise Jesus. But here's the thing about David. David was just a man. I'm going to say that again. David was just a man. That's all. He was a son. He was a brother. He was a father. He was a king, but he was just a man. David wasn't superhuman. In fact, David wasn't the strongest. Saul, the king before him, was physically bigger and stronger. David wasn't the wisest. Solomon, the king that came after him, his own son, was wiser. He wasn't the most spiritual. Moses, who led the Israelites out of slavery, actually got to see God's face. And he wasn't perfect. We talked about this last week. He slept with another man's wife, and then he had him killed. David is just a man. But even though David was just an ordinary man, he's still considered a hero. In the New Testament of the Bible, there's a book called Hebrews. And Hebrews 11 is essentially like the list of like the who's who of the faith. It's like the hall of fame of God followers. And David is on that list, along with Moses and Noah and Abraham and a ton of other people that made a huge impact on the kingdom of God. So the question is, what is it about David? Why would we spend so much time on David? Why would we tell so much of his story? How does a normal guy like him become a hero? And it all comes down to the phrase, a man after God's own heart. This is a phrase that's used in the Bible to describe David, and it's his most important characteristic. Of all the things you could know about David, this is the number one thing that you need to know, that he was a man after God's own heart. We first see this phrase when Samuel is confronting the previous king of Israel named Saul. Saul is failing as king, and Samuel comes to tell him that his time is up. In 1 Samuel 13, it says this, But now your kingdom must end, and this is Samuel talking to Saul. Now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. We've shared some of this story in the previous series we did last year and even in this one on David. But Samuel tells Saul that God wants a king who is after his own heart. And because Saul isn't that person, because of Saul's disobedience, he will be replaced. And the man after God's own heart, we learned, is David. Now, if we fast forward to the book of Acts in the New Testament, this is what Paul says about David in Acts 13. He says, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Paul, in this instance in Acts 13, he's actually telling the story about how Saul was replaced by David, and he quotes the Old Testament. He quotes 1 Samuel 13. He says that he's a man after God's own heart. But Paul actually adds something that's really important to the end of this verse. He shares what it means to be after God's own heart, and he says this. He says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. This is what God said. He chose David because David was a man after God's own heart. But do you know what made David a hero? Do you know what made David so amazing? He did what God asked him to do. The thing that made David so incredible can be summed up in one word, and it's obedience. He was obedient. David was a man after God's own heart because he trusted and obeyed God. Now, notice that God didn't say that it was because David was perfect. Notice that God didn't say that it was because David wasn't going to fall short in the future. Notice that God didn't say that it was because David had his life together, that he could quote the Bible better than anyone else, that he was more powerful than other people, that he had a lot of influence, that he was bigger, stronger, wiser, richer than anyone else. God said that David was after his heart because David followed God and his teaching. He was obedient. 
He was humble enough to trust God and live his life according to what God asked, what God taught. He was just a man who obeyed God. Do you know what that means? It means that the bar isn't perfection. The bar is obedience. That means you can live that way as well. You are just a man. You are just a woman. You are just a student. You are just a parent. You're just a husband or a wife, a brother or a sister. But you can live a life that's after God's own heart. The phrase can be used to describe you if you choose to live your life trusting and obeying God. And obedience is a good thing. Scripture talks about it a lot. Luke 11 says this. Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. The word blessed is just another word for happy. And Jesus is saying that we will be even happier when we hear God's teaching and make it an active part of our lives. We will have more joy when we listen and obey. James 1 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. And James is actually talking to Christians. He's saying, don't just listen, obey. And James is calling these people out. He's saying, you go to church, you read your Bible, you listen to sermons, but you don't actually put it into practice. You're only pretending. He says, you're fooling yourselves into thinking you're obedient. You're fooling yourselves into thinking you're after God's own heart. You're fooling yourselves into thinking that you actually have a relationship when you don't. Proverbs 16 says this, those who listen to instruction will prosper. Those who trust the Lord will be joyful. The word prosper can also be translated as better in comparison to the alternative. What the writer of Proverbs is saying is that those who listen to God's teaching will have it better than those who don't. And the result of that is joy. So what would it look like in your own life? What would it take for you to be someone after God's own heart? What steps of obedience do you have to take? God is asking you to do something. God's pushing you to do something. God might even be physically pulling you to do something. The question is, what steps of obedience do you need to take? And there are multiple things that we could talk about, but I want to focus on one big thing first. For some of you, the step of obedience that you need to take is simple. It's baptism. We talk about baptism all the time at Collective. We celebrate it all the time at Collective. And the reason why we talk about it is because it's mentioned in the Bible over 100 times. We make it a big deal because it's a big deal. And baptism literally means to be immersed in water. It symbolizes the death of your old self and the raising up of a new life. And in the New Testament of the Bible, we actually see baptism done for two reasons. The first reason is for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the best example of this is in the book of Acts in Acts 2. There's this moment after Jesus has died and resurrected from the dead, and he has about 150 followers, and they saw this happen. They saw Jesus resurrect. They felt the wounds. They touched him. They realized that he is the Son of God and that he is who he promised he was. And so what they do is they don't just keep it to themselves, right? They don't just stay in a room hidden and go, wasn't that great? They share it with other people. And so Acts 2 is like the first sermon that we ever see. And some of Jesus' followers go out and they tell people that there is a God who loves them. They tell people that God is for them. They tell people that God sent his son to die to pay a debt that our sin creates so that we, so that they can all have a relationship with God. And when people heard that for the first time, they said, okay, what do we do? Right? Because they wanted that. They wanted that forgiveness. They wanted that grace. They wanted that relationship. So they, so they asked, what do we do? And Jesus' leaders responded saying, you repent which means you turn away from your sin and you get baptized. You get immersed into water. And over 3,000 people did it that day. They responded to that invitation to have a relationship with Jesus. But the other time we see baptism in the Bible is out of obedience to God. And do you know who set that example? Jesus. I know that's the church answer, right? Like if you don't know how to answer a question when it comes to God or the Bible, just say Jesus. But that's really what it is. 
Matthew 3, it says this. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. He said, so why are you coming to me? And that makes sense. Like we understand that if anyone didn't need to be baptized, it was Jesus. He was perfect. He, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was one with God. Like why would he take this step? But this is what Jesus said. It says, but Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Jesus is saying, he's talking about himself. He's saying he should be baptized so that he can be obedient to what God has commanded. And so he was baptized. And to be honest, there are a ton of people in this church that would say that they love God. They would say that Jesus is their leader. They would say that they've trusted Jesus with their life, but they've never actually taken that step. And maybe it was because you grew up in a church that didn't teach about baptism or baptism by immersion. Maybe you've never been a part of a church where you actually feel comfortable or safe enough to make that decision. And those are completely understandable reasons. But if you are a follower of Jesus and you say that you love Jesus, you have to wrestle with the fact that if you do love him, obedience is a part of that. And I believe the Bible is clear. I believe scripture is clear that you should be immersed to carry out all that God requires that you should be immersed out of obedience to Jesus by also following his example. And so for some of you, you just need to be obedient. That's all it comes down to. So then what are you waiting for, right? Like what's holding you back? Because I know that some of you are arguing, me, arguing with me in your heads right now. And what you're really doing is you're actually arguing with scripture and God and Jesus as the example. Because this isn't my opinion. These aren't my thoughts. It's what scripture teaches it's what the early church did, and we, we try to replicate that. We try to do that right now. So why won't you take that step? Now, the simple answer is pride. Obedience takes humility. Disobedience takes ego. And maybe you want to be right in your view of baptism and how you've been living your life. So to be immersed would be maybe to admit that you had an inaccurate or potentially incomplete understanding of Scripture in the past, and you don't want to do that. You don't want to publicly say that out loud or at least even recognize it. Or maybe your pride makes some of you embarrassed. Right? You love Jesus. You followed Jesus for a long time, so you're afraid that getting baptized means your love for Jesus has been inadequate, but that's not the case. And Jesus is the example of that. His love was perfect. His love was complete, but he still listened and obeyed God. And here's the deal. Today isn't just about challenging you to obedience, but creating the opportunities for that to happen. So next week, we're going to set up the trough so people can take that step. And if you're ready to do that or you want to have a conversation about that, check it off on your connection card or come talk to me. But if you are a follower of Jesus and this is something you haven't done, you need to be wrestling with this idea of obedience and baptism. Not just because I say it, but because Jesus is the example that we follow. Maybe for you it isn't baptism though, right? So maybe you've taken that step or you aren't there yet or you're really mad at me right now. That's a part of this. The question is what steps do you need to take to be after God's own heart. Single people, you want your future marriage to be after God's own heart, then listen and obey when the Bible teaches to keep the marriage bed pure. Married people, you want your current marriage to be after God's own heart, then listen and obey when the Bible teaches to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's get more specific than that. Husbands, you want your marriage to be after God's own heart, then listen and obey when the Bible teaches to love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving up your life for her. You sacrifice yourself for your bride. Wives, you want your marriage to be after God's own heart, then listen and obey when the Bible teaches to respect your husbands. You want to have friendships that are after God's own heart, then listen and obey when the Bible teaches that bad company corrupts good morals. 
Or when it says, walk with the wise and become wise, because a companion of fools suffers harm. You want your finances to be after God's own heart. Then listen and obey when the Bible teaches that it's more blessed to give than receive. Or when it says that we should trust God with our finances because he can do more with a little than what we can do with all of it. Or even you shouldn't go into debt because the debtor becomes slave to the lender. Parents, you want to have children who grow up to be after God's own heart. Then listen and obey when the Bible teaches to direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. This is one of the reasons why it's so important, parents, that you are consistently in church. Yes, a piece of it is about you and your faith, but parents, it's more about your kids. You put them in a position to grow up with, with faith so at some point they don't walk away. And that, that only happens when you are inconsistent and not putting them on the right path to start. You want to have a relationship with God that's after his own heart. Then listen and obey. And you'll experience joy. You'll experience a life that's better than the alternative. You'll be happier. And I can keep going. If you want to be after God's own heart, if you want the things in your life to be after God's own heart, the way you do that is through obedience. It means to trust what God says in the Bible and let it play out in your own life. And the result of that is better relationships. You'll have a better marriage. You'll have better control of your finances. It really is that simple. So are you obedient? Are you living in a way that someone could look at you and say that you are after God's own heart? Because every single person in this room could have that be a detail about them. None of us have messed up so much that that can't be about us, that people can't say that about us, that God couldn't recognize that in us. Now, we know that David did miraculous things. And in fact, most of the weeks that we talked about David, all we did was share the big things that he did. And today we draw inspiration from his story, but what inspires us about David is his faith in God. It's him trusting God, him obeying God. Sure, he defeated a giant, but we fight giants every day. Cancer, losing jobs, addiction, brokenness. Sure, he became king, but we lead in our lives right now. We lead in our relationships, in our careers, and in our families. While it's easy to focus on the big things in David's life, David obeyed in the small ways as well. He waited patiently to become king. He honored God in his friendship with Jonathan. When the Ark of the Covenant came to Jerusalem, he worshiped God even at the cost of his own embarrassment. David's life in relationship with God is often called heroic, but it isn't out of our own grasp. We can have that life. We can have that relationship. We can have that be about us. You are just a man. You are just a woman, and that is a good thing. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be superhuman. You don't have to be the best at anything in order to make a difference in your own life, in your marriage, in your family, in this city, in this church. In fact, going back to what we talked about earlier and creating space for new people to show up, do you know how you can change a life or a family forever? Create space for them to experience the grace and truth of Jesus. There are families in this church whose lives will never be the same because they've experienced that here in this church. And it wasn't because anyone that comes to this church or works at this church or serves at, that church, at this church is superhuman or super spiritual or super godly. It's because there are people here that trust God and obey him. And so when Jesus says that we're supposed to seek and save lost people, one of the ways that we do that is by creating the best space we can for people to be a part of this church. And all it takes is waking up a little bit earlier on Sundays, and it feels small, but it's life-changing. 
when we obey God and we trust him, when we do what he's pulling us to do, our life and the lives around us change. In December of 2018, every major newspaper nationally and internationally that you could find shared a story about a French man named George Loanger. And on December 28th, he passed away at 108 years old. But that wasn't the reason why so many stories were written about him. Loanger was a hero. He grew up in a Jewish family in France during the peak of World War II. And at one point, while serving in the French army, he was actually captured by German troops and spent several months as a prisoner of war in Munich before he eventually escaped with his cousin. But after escaping, George began to feel the overwhelming burden to find and rescue Jewish children who had been taken and placed into ghettos by the Nazi regime, by the children that he saw as he was a prisoner of war. So over the next few years, he put his life on the line to rescue as many children as possible. And by the time the war ended, it said that he might have saved over 350 children from death at the hands of the Nazis. At the end of his life, everyone wanted to interview him and ask him like why it happened and how it happened. And so they asked him, why would you put your life on the line? Why would you put your family on the line? Why would you put yourself out there? He escaped, he found freedom, but still he went back. And this is what he said. He said that it's because God asked him to do it. And do you know what's remarkable about this guy? He was just a man. He wasn't a super spy. He didn't go on top secret missions. He didn't concoct insane plans to save children. In fact, the stories of how he saved children are pretty unremarkable to the point that most people have never heard of this guy. There's never been a movie made about his life because he was just a man who trusted God and did what he could to help children that were put in his path. Yes, he was brave. Yes, he risked his life, but he was just the man who was doing what he felt like God was asking him to do. And because of that, he's a hero. Now, you're just a man. You're just a woman. But you can be a man after God's own heart. You can be a woman after God's own heart if you listen, if you trust, if you obey. And just like David, who was an ordinary man, just a normal guy that God used in extraordinary ways. He wasn't perfect. We know that for sure. But he was obedient. And because of that, he lived a faith that's admired, a faith that we still talk about thousands of years later as an example for what we want in our own lives. And so you can be after God's own heart. It's not perfection. It's obedience. And that can be yours. The choice is yours, though. Let's pray. God, thank you um, that you choose ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Um, God, that David wasn't perfect, that he wasn't the strongest or the smartest or the most spiritual. He was just a guy that trusted you. And God, thousands of years later, we share his story and we look up to him. We long to be called after your own heart. But God, you teach us and you show us time after time what that looks like and how that happens. And it just comes down to trusting and obeying you. God, it's not about perfection. It's it's not about doing a bunch of good deeds. It's really just following what you say and following your teaching. God, I pray this week um, as we go out, we're all wrestling with something. God, we feel you pushing us. Uh, God, we feel you challenging us. We feel you calling us to take a step in some way. And so God, I just pray this week um, that we can take a step toward obedience, whether that's in our relationships and our marriages in our relationship with you, in our faith, whatever it may be, God, I pray that this week that every single person in this room can take a step closer to obedience and step closer toward being people 
who are after your own heart. God, thank you um, that we have real life examples. Thank you that um, it's relatable. God, that we don't have to share stories about imaginary heroes, but real people who truly are just like us. God, help us be more like David. Help us be after your own heart. Let's pray. Amen.